Hey, welcome to Breitbart News Daily. We had a really good show, a wonderful, wonderful guest and fantastic phone calls. I, I, we just got off the phone with a, a gentleman and he, he used this line. He said, factories, we were talking about the black vote. And he said, factories were the great equalizer. You would have white people, black people, immigrants all working together. And of course, you're going to become friendly with each other in and out of work. And when the factories went away, not only are there the economic consequences of that, which is what I've always focused on, but you also have the social consequences of creating more division between races and immigrants now have less of an opportunity to assimilate into culture by working in a factory day and day. That is, that is such a haunting sentiment. I've never heard anyone write on that. I've never heard anyone say anything about that. So I'm going to do a lot more research on that. I just love it. Anyway, that was just one example of wonderful, wonderful phone calls we had today. And if you want to hear the whole show, of course, it's on SiriusXM, uh, Patriot 125. Great guest, which we'll uh, talk about here in a minute. Um, and we started off with a couple random things, but I think they all fit together because when you deal with principles, they always fit together. As you heard in the last segment, really great guest today. But I want to present to you here the great John Tierney, who used to be the science writer at the New York Times. And I've learned so much from this man. He, he, one of his great articles was debunking recycling. And it's still on the New York Times website. He's done two articles on it. He did one and then a follow-up a couple years later. Just what a waste of time recycling is. And that was really one of the most pivotal political arguments in my life really opened my, up, up my eyes. And it's like a silly topic, you'd think, right? But it's actually not. But uh, just opened up my eyes to how, how much we're lied to, how many things people do for no real reason <laughs> other than they think they're great people because they do it. So it's like, like, like the, the, the human nature. It, he was really one of the first people that got me thinking about human nature. Like what are the human nature reasons that people do things that are pointless and or even bad, but they still do them and pat themselves on the back for doing it Anyway, that's John Tierney. He wrote about recycling, but of course now he writes all about COVID. Here he is. COVID lockdowns and mandates with all of their sudden fear-mongering about the new variants that are coming. Gee whiz, you know what else is coming? An election. <laughs> Gee whiz. America's the greatest country in the world. Happy Thursday, best day of the week. Thanks for being. I want to go right to John Tierney, former science writer at the New York Times author of the wonderful book, You Have to Buy, The Power of Bad, How the Negativity Effect Rules Us and How We Can Rule It. John, how are you, sir? I'm fine, Mike, and I'm not wearing a mask. Thank <laughs> goodness. <laughs> will, will you ever again? No. no. I mean, I, um, I, I certainly hope not. I intend to do whatever kind of resistance I can to this. Well, as Trump said, we will not comply. Uh, I should say John's yeah. now at the, uh, at the City Journal. So, John, every time I talk to you, and I hope it's many times more in the rest yeah. of my life, I will always have to share this story. So I'm, I, bear with me. Uh, I would talk to you. It was, in tw it was before COVID. I don't know. If it was, when, when did the book come out? Uh, 2020. Yeah, yeah so right been, before COVID it came yeah. out. Yeah, yeah it may have been, so it may have been two months before COVID or something. And, and I had you on the show, and you articulately, beautifully, wonderfully went over the thesis of your book. 
And that is, uh, there's three points. One, the world will always seem to be in crisis. Number two, the crisis is never bad as it sounds. And number three, the solution could easily make things worse. And I, I, I was like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then you were Nostradamus and this happened and I, I abandoned your principles for too long. And I will always <laughs> apologize for that. And I quickly went back and you were uh, a source of gravity for as to why. But I apologize that I, I missed it as long as I did, even though you told me right to my face. <laughs> predicting <laughs> but you were one of the few that learned it and i'm glad you uh, that was in our chapter in the power bet on the crisis crisis which i think I, I, I really do think is the biggest problem in society that it's everything we just have this industry that uh, the media politicians bureaucrats public health establishment that are constantly basically scaring us in order to, uh, to increase their power and uh and and you know and i've been writing about this for you know for you know 20 30 years all these bogus crises but i never imagined that that it could be as bad as it was during COVID. you know just suspending freedoms destroying the economy it just it was incredible what happened there uh i got a lot of questions let's start with this one one of your recent articles you talk about how prior to COVID, going back to 2006 there were all these uh scientific papers and then also government committees that got together and said, Hey, hypothetically, if there's ever a pandemic of any sorts, what should we do? And we'll come up with some pandemic planning and all of the pandemic plans contemplated the things we did for COVID contemplated shutting down school and restricting travel and social distancing and masks. And all of them said, Oh, like that doesn't work. We're like, we're definitely, we're not going to do that. Uh, one of the studies said that would be devastatingly, uh, that would be, could be devastating socially and economically. So we're not going to do that. And all the countries, our country included, had these plans for pandemics and, and didn't include any of this stuff. And then we just lost our minds. What, what happened there? You know, it, it, um, it's so bizarre because uh, uh, the CDC, you know, um, agencies in Canada, and uh, in, in UK, they all reached that same conclusion. And then, you know, a couple of things happened. One was that these computer modelers in England with a horrible track record of vastly over-predicting epidemics came out with this doomsday thing that 2 million Americans will be dead by the end of the summer. And these modelers, who were not experts at all in, in, in these mitigation measures, I said the only viable strategy is we have to lock down like the Chinese did because the Chinese claimed the lockdown worked. And suddenly, and then that coupled with media hysteria, you know, we must do something. Something must be done, and the and the fatality rates were exaggerated, um, and so suddenly there was this this sudden panic among the elite, and all the science was thrown out the window, and they just said, "Yeah, China says it works," and and we and and the and these modelers in England said, "You know, this strategy will stop it," and so everyone suddenly just threw out you know decades of scientific research and did this completely untested. Uh, strategy. I mean, it was an enormous experiment conducted on the entire population with known harmful effects and, and no evidence that it would work. And sure enough, during the pandemic, the evidence showed it didn't work. And yet they kept ignoring it. It's, I mean, it's really absolutely bizarre. I, I never imagined things could get this bad, that the crisis industry would so take over society and completely ignore, you know, evidence and data. 
one of one of our principles on this show is perhaps the opposite is true. So when someone presents <laughs> to you something, you 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 think before you consider, you're like, hmm, okay, maybe the exact opposite is true. It's not always true, but perhaps it is, and it is a lot. And you wrote this. You said long before COVID struck, economists detected a deadly pattern in the impact of natural disasters. That is, if the executive branch of government used the emergency to claim sweeping new powers over the citizenry, more people died than would have if government powers had remained constrained. How can that be? It's because the government, um, it interferes so much with society that, that that causes all kinds of harms. It actually stops people from, you know, from responding naturally um, and, and rationally to the um, uh, epidemic. And it also gives these leaders a chance. They claim they're doing this to, uh, to stop the emergency. And, and, you know, this research involves natural disasters like hurricanes and things like that. They claim that they're using these extraordinary powers to, to deal with the emergency. But what they actually end up doing is diverting a lot of the resources to, you know, um, special interests to their political donors um, and using it for all kinds of causes that have nothing to do with the emergency. And so that's a, just a huge distraction. And we saw that during COVID where, you know, the, you know these trillion-dollar, you know, bailouts that were supposedly for COVID, you know, they ended up diverting all kinds of things to, you know, the right special interest groups that had supported Democrats. So we saw all this enormous wasted money, and, then we, and, now, and, then, and now we're dealing with the inflation afterwards, of course. Mm. So... But they basically just seize on this crisis in order you know, to, to advance their own purposes and deprive people of freedom. Why is it so difficult to see, to, to count the costs, right? The seen harm, un, or what is seen, seen, seen benefit, unseen harm, although the harm is very seen now and people still have a tough time weighing it out. And, and you cite some research here where uh, the lockdowns and everything maybe decreased mortality by 3%, maybe, right? But here's all these other factors, these ramifications of what we did that resulted in way more deaths, alcoholism, depression, et cetera, et cetera. Not to mention just fundamentally changing so much of society and all that. Why can't people weigh that, weigh that out properly and come to an assessment of what we did and that therefore conclusions about what to do next? Well, some researchers did and called this, you know, one of the great health, public health disasters that, you know, we had in the U.S., I think we, it was 170,000 excess deaths that were that were not involving COVID. You know, you know, and that was the young people, as you say, from drug overdoses. Um, you know, all the cancer, you know, all the cancer yes. screenings and treatments that were delayed. All these things. So you don't see that. You know, the media doesn't cover it, and and the CDC and and the NIH in the United States. It was scandalous how they just didn't even look at all these harms. They didn't keep track of them. You know, they simply focused, you know, um, on COVID deaths, used the scariest figures they could. You know, they claimed, you know, all these children were in the or were being hospitalized for COVID when, in fact, you know, you know, the children were actually in the hospital for something else and just happened to test. But this whole crisis industry just it was in the business of scaring people and they seized on whatever they could. And, you know, and they didn't look into the effects of their policies, you know, and, you know, when it came to mass, there was a. Uh, um, as I wrote, there was uh, this Cochrane review, which is the gold standard in evaluating medical evidence. They um, uh, concluded that the mass probably made little or no difference. And the head of the CDC said, well, you know, yeah, that, that's what the clinical trials sh showed, but, but we didn't really have enough of those trials to know. And I mean, it, 
the gall was astonishing because why wasn't the CDC and the NIH doing clinical trials? They weren't doing them at all. Mm. They didn't want to test whether their policies work. You know, we had to rely on, on, on research done in other countries to, you know, to know whether the masks were working because the CDC is simply throughout the pandemic just seized on, on all these, this junk science and on, on this sort of cherry-picked data to claim the masks were working while, while not doing any good research and ignoring the good research that was done. So, you know, it was, it was hard for the public that just kept hearing this. And, and the mainstream media basically just shilled for the CDC. You know, they had no skepticism and, and, you know, they worked with social media platforms to censor anyone who was saying that. It was a real... I, I mean, when the whole, and within the public health establishment and among scientists, it became career suicide to even question any of these mm. measures. You know, you get censored, you'd be denounced. So, so a lot of good scientists, uh, um, out of fear, kept their mouths shut. And you know, some did speak out. They were censored on social media. But I think eventually, you know, some people started seeing, the, you know, seeing how wrong these policies were and how much damage they had done. Talking with John Tierney, former science writer at the New York Times, now at the City Journal. His book's called The Power of Bad. I know you're a, a student of human nature, and I think we all got a PhD in it if we <laughs> wanted to see it. Uh, why is it so hard for people to admit I was wrong? Well, it's hard for any politician or journalist to do it. I mean, we don't like to do that. And I think, you know, there's a phenomenon, too, that you know, they, they, basically the whole country was put through uh, 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 something similar to a hazing ritual. You know, you had to put mm-hmm. on masks, you had to wash your hands, you had to do all the, you know, follow all these orders, you know, just like pledges at a fraternity, going through this humiliating ritual. And there's interesting research that when you put someone through a hazing ritual, afterwards they um, they think it, that it was worthwhile even if the reward isn't worthwhile because people hate to think I did all that I made all those sacrifices I did all that it must have done something good and so yes. it's hard to admit that god I, I was wearing that mask and I was doing all you know um, I, I followed all these orders and, and and it was useless so a lot of people just don't want to hear that they want to you know they want to believe somehow that it was worthwhile Yeah, what a great point. Why do you think, let me ask how first, how, well, do you think they will try to bring it all back again and do it again? Because I saw Scott Gottlieb on the TV the other day. I thought, what? (laughs) Scott Gottlieb? I never thought I'd see him ever again. So they brought him back in studio, John. He got all dressed up and and drove to the studio and did a whole thing. Uh, So are they bringing it back? The hysteria. Well, so... I mean, the media is trying to do it. You know, we're seeing all these articles on, you know, CNN and other places, time to mask up again. And, and you know, and we've seen a few places, some hospitals and things that have started bringing back the mask mandates. I think there's going to be resistance to it, certainly, um, from the public. And, you know, there is an election coming up, and you'd think that uh, savvy politicians would realize this is going to cause an awful lot of um, anger and it could hurt them. So I'm hoping that there'll be enough resistance to stop it. But, you know, the, I mean, the media, you know, there's this codependency between the media that, that needs scary stories that will get clicks and bureaucrats who want power and who want money. And, and the public health establishment has become so dominated by progressive, you know, left wing that, I, I mean, it, it's become completely politicized. Um, so there's this codependency between the media and, 
you know, and, and these public officials to scare the public and expand the government. It, and and once they expanded, you know, the the great the, the historical tragedy is that once you expand the government, as you know, like when you expand the military during a war, it never shrinks back to its 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 previous size. It's called the ratchet effect. And and we now, you know, I mean, it's unbelievable that the WHO and the CDC are demanding more powers now in the next pandemic. You know, the WHO wants to have a global treaty that would give it the power to order countries to follow its its mandates, which, is, you know, you know, so something like, you know, Sweden was the great and, and Florida were the great places of sanity during this where they didn't have mass mandates. Sweden told its citizens not to wear masks. And they didn't lock down, and they did better than average. You know, you know, Sweden had the lowest excess mortality rate in Europe. So, if this—I mean, if the World Health Organization got its way, Sweden wouldn't be allowed to do that in the next pandemic. They'd have to follow these misguided mandates. So, it's a really tough cycle to break. And I think because you know there isn't a big incentive for the news media to put out accurate stories when they can get clicks by scaring everyone. Yep. Uh, I think this is a, I think we're getting punked by the Bilderberg group or something when <laughs> they call the new variant Eris named after the Greek goddess of strife and discord. John. <laughs> I John, that. John they, could, they could have called it anything. They, they could have called it anything <laughs> in the world. And, and there's lots yeah. of Greek goddesses, you know? <laughs> Yes. What is up with the strife and discord one? What is that about? <laughs> oh, they, they just love, you know, I mean, it's, it's panic porn, you know, you know, anything we can do to scare people um, will do. And, you know, I mean, the CDC just throughout this was constantly exaggerating the risk from COVID constantly, you know, seizing on worst case scenarios to, to, to scare people that, you know, and I mean, some of them think they're doing well that, you know, they genuinely believe this stuff that, you know, they're so, but they have such an incentive to scare people. It's good for their budget. It's good for their, you know, you know, the, for their careers. They get to be on TV, warning everyone. You know, they get and, um, you know, and, and it became such a political thing where you know wearing masks became you know the MAGA hat for Democrats, you know, mm -hmm. for progressives. So, um, you know, there were all these horrible forces that were pushing people towards scaring it, and there and it was just it was very you know it was very hard early in the pandemic for nobody would print you know, something saying, you know, this isn't as bad as it was. And the people who did have, have gotten punished. And, you know, early in the pandemic, I wrote about this, um, a court decision in Germany where a judge had, said, had, had, had stopped them from masking children because he said there's no evidence that they're really at risk or that it will help them. And, you know, that got overturned. But now this judge is being you know, he, you know, he was prosecuted for his decision and he got a two year suspended sentence mm. and he's going to lose his job and his pension over this, you know, you know, over. And he was right. You know, Germany was a great place where they had, you know, some of the strictest mask mandates in the world. Everybody had to wear at least a surgical mask in Berlin and Bavaria. They had to wear um, N95 masks, and the masks made no difference. You compare them with Sweden, Sweden had a lower mortality rate. In, in Sweden, you know, more than 90% of the people followed the government's advice not to wear masks, and Sweden did better than Germany. Um, and yet this judge is being punished for being right. I understand the incentive of the media 
and these politicians and scientists. I understand the incentives for all of them. Why would Lionsgate Film and these people at this college in Atlanta, out of nowhere, it seems, why would they mandate masks again? What's in it for them? I think it's, you know, the HR department tends to be run by progressive um, I mean, that's just, you know, that's yeah. a fact, you know, the, and, and I think that you combine that with maybe lawyers thinking, gee, we don't want to be sued for, you know, by somebody who's got COVID. So let's be safe and do this. And, you know, the HR department and lawyers don't particularly, you know, I mean, you know, they they have a very narrow minded view of it. Let's be safe. And they don't think about all the bad consequences uh, uh, that this will be on the workers. And it's just easier. It's, you know, you know, they're covering their ass. So it, 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 it seems right to them. Um, I mean, I'm, you know, wondering if it, if at some point, you know, there's going to be a legal liability in the other direction that people are going to start suing um, employers for, you know, um, mask and vaccine mandates that caused harm. You know, some, you know, someone who got myocarditis from a vaccine is going to sue the employer or their mm-hmm. college saying, why did you make me do this when, yes. you know, that there was evidence that the benefits of the, of the vaccine to a young male were, you know, quite small and, and there was some risk. So, mm. um, so it'd be nice to see some, you know, but it's very, you know, it's very, I mean, you can't sue public officials very easily for, for the mistakes they make. So they, you know, you know, they can do things that a private company would be in terrible trouble for because yeah. they can't be sued. Well, you talked also in, in one of your articles about carbon dioxide levels and uh, the relation to stillbirths. Uh, from people wearing masks and the amount of carbon dioxide that they're breathing in compared to normal and how harmful that is, right? Like, will a lawsuit ever t- take off because of that? It'll be too difficult to connect the dots, I suppose, huh? Well, I, I, I mean, um, I think you could sue. I'm, I'm not sure how successful it would be, but um, as I pointed out, you know, when the U.S. Navy started having female crews, they looked at the research into carbon dioxide levels, and there was this research showing that higher carbon dioxide is more stillbirth. So they limited the level on submarines. And yet, as, as a team of German researchers pointed out, and they reviewed dozens of studies into this, they said people who wear masks for prolonged periods, especially in 95 masks, are breathing in levels of carbon dioxide, they're rebreathing their, you know, carbon dioxide from their own lungs at levels that are toxic and that have been linked with stillbirths. And so, um, so I would think that, you know, that somebody could try and sue their employer said, you made me wear this mask and, and, and I had a stillbirth and, mm-hmm. you know, who knows what a jury would do. I mean, that kind of threat might be something that would help turn the tide. I mean, that's what happens in some of these hysterias is eventually lawsuits will cause people to act sanely because then a jury will actually sit down and look at the facts and say, wait a minute, there was never any evidence for what you did. You ignored the evidence of the harm you're doing and you should pay for it. So we made, possible we, made that women, we made women give birth while wearing a mask. Our, our son right. was born a couple of weeks before the lockdowns and the nurse told us afterwards, good thing you made it because otherwise you would have to be in labor wearing a mask. Oh my goodness. Uh, John, we'll let you run, but what's one big, grand, big picture human nature thing that uh, we all need to keep in mind as we proceed to the next panic? I guess it's that our brains are wired to to pay much more attention to negative things than positive things. And there's a whole industry out there of 
journalists and, and politicians and bureaucrats who exploit that every day and are looking to gain power. And we just have to realize that that um, they're doing this to, uh, to scare us and to gain power. And we should be very wary, be very skeptical of any crisis you hear. John Tierney, go buy the book, The Power of Bad. John, appreciate you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, sir. Keep it up. Thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily. Every Friday at the end of the show, 8, 840, we talk with Alex Marlow, editor-in-chief of Breitbart.com. We'll see you then.